All right. Wow. Um, I, I had that creative idea to play the music for the Indiana Jones movies, but not being here these past couple of weeks, I didn't really know what that would feel like. That's kind of an interesting introduction to a sermon. So I haven't quite, uh, never quite had that experience before <laughs> as we're greeting one another. If you are a guest here with us, we don't always play Indiana Jones music. Just want to let you know that. Uh, but we are in a current teaching series called Relics, and we'll explain that uh, here in just a minute. But yes, as uh, as some of you may be aware, I was out of the country. I helped to lead one of our missions teams to the Philippines. It was a, it was a really joyful time. It was a rewarding time. Uh, God did a lot of great things. We're going to talk about that actually more in just a minute. Um, however, I apologize to the camera guys. I know I just walked out. Sorry. But uh, I was also I went over to uh, I went over to Korea while I was over there. And uh, I signed up for university, so I'm a freshman. Okay, I'm not really. I, uh, I actually, when you go from the Philippines to uh, Korea, one of the things that I didn't quite calculate properly was the weather change. So I got there, I didn't have a coat, and uh, the pastor at the church that I was uh, ministering at said, well, I'm going to take you across the street to one of the most prestigious universities in all of Korea, kind of like a Princeton of South Korea, and I'm going to buy you a coat. So... Here's my coat, and I want to say to Pastor Lee, thank you very much for the coat. Um, it served me well when I was over there, and uh, I will I'll wear it here proudly. If we have any South Korean students that are, are here today, especially in the second service when they show up, they'll know that university, and that will be the proof that I was actually there. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite, uh, quite the experience. We'll talk about more about missions uh, actually coming up here in just a minute. Our, our relics teaching series is built off the concept that there are a number of ancient items that were around during Jesus' time or even in the Old Testament that man is still trying to find, archaeologists are still digging for. There's been a lot of controversy that's built around these items. The punchline of the entire teaching series simply boils down to this one basic principle, that these items all have a power that was associated with them. Therefore, there is a reason why man wants to find them. Most of these items, if not all of them, you'll never find, right? Except for the manuscripts that, you know, Pastor Roger talked about yesterday. Maybe man will find some of the other items that we're going to talk about, but even if they did, none of them would hold any kind of earthly power. They're just an artifact. But yet there is a spiritual power that's associated with each of them that we can still find to this day. So in a way, what I'm asking you to do through this teaching series is to be a spiritual archaeologist and to dig for the power of God's truth in His Word, by connecting with Him through His Spirit, by finding God in worship. I want you to be an archaeologist. I want you to search out all of the options, and I want you to hunger after God, and I want you to find the power of God. So... Today, uh, as we jump into this, you already heard we're talking about the power of God's presence. And the power of God's presence really rested in the Ark of the Covenant. Um, that's probably classic. Uh, we're gonna, we're get, we'll get to that in a minute. Let me just talk to you about um, um, the power of God's presence. Have you, ever, have you ever been in one of those frantic modes where you've jumped into your car and you said, we've got to race to the store because the store's closing at uh, 7 o'clock we got to hurry up and we have to get there. you ever been in one of those modes? seems like my life is in that mode. Does anybody else feel like that way? 
<clears throat> so you're, you're in that mode where you're just, you're rushing to the store and you pull up in front of it and you slam the brakes on. There you are in your parking spot. And how do you know whether the, the store is open or not? What's one of the very first indicators you look at? If you're going into the, the old town of Kearney and you're racing down there before someplace closes, what's the first thing you look at to see whether the store is even open? If the lights are on, yes, that's right. And then the second quick thing is there's lights on. Are there people inside, right? Because the lights on signifies that the place is open. Very much like the Ark of the Covenant signified for God's people that God was among them. It was a fabulous, fantastic time for the Israelites. As the Ark of the Covenant um, was built by Moses. God gave Moses the instructions to build it. And it was a uh, it was an instrument that God used in some powerful ways. He used it to signify to God's people that he was their God and he was there in their midst. But he also used the ark to signify to all of the enemies of Israel that their God is alive and that their God is powerful. And that God used the ark of the covenant to even communicate and to talk with Moses. Yeah, I know it sounds kind of interesting, but in Exodus chapter 25, 22, here's what, uh, here's what it says. God says to Moses, I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for, for the people of Israel. On top of the Ark, the Ark was this box, you know, yay wide by that big and it had these gold it was made out of wood and it was covered in gold and it had these long rods that went through it that stayed in it all the time. And on top of it was this cover. And on top of that cover were these two angels that had their heads bent and bowed towards the middle with these wings that were covering over the top of the ark. And God's saying, there, Moses, when you come and you meet with me there, I will speak to you and I will commune with you. I will, I'm signifying this as my presence is with you. Now, obviously, God's much larger than a box. How many people agree with me? Yes, okay. So it sounds a little weird, like, God, why would you do that? But it was, it was symbolic for God and for his people. Obviously, God is everywhere. We know that about God. Um, God's everywhere at all time, even to this day. That's the power of God. He created all the universe. He doesn't need a box to live in. But he needed to teach his people obedience. And he was trying to communicate a more long-lasting message to God's people, the Israelites, that even transcends all the way to this moment in our time right now. Once the ark was built, once the obedience of God's people was followed out, something powerful happened that the Israelites experienced for the next many decades. Look in Exodus chapter 40, what happened. It says, The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so that the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all of their journeys. This happened the very moment that they completed the ark, they completed the tabernacle, and they put the ark into the Holy of Holies. And it says in the Bible that they couldn't even finish the service that day because the cloud of the Lord descended upon that place and filled the entire temple, or the entire tabernacle, so that the work of the priest couldn't even be done. And that at night, a fire glowed inside of it. Could you imagine 
Here's the Israelites, they're walking through the desert for 40 years in the wilderness before they ever get a chance to come into the promised land. They're carrying this ark and they're setting up this large tent called the the tabernacle. And inside of the tabernacle is this special room called the Holy of Holies that the priests were only allowed to go into once a year. And they put the ark inside of this place and this cloud is over it and this fire is in it by night. Could you imagine being God's people, being able to physically experience and say, man, our God is with us? Wouldn't that be powerful? It would be powerful. Yeah, what would it do to your faith? Man, it would keep your faith charged up for for a massive journey that they were on. But what if you were an enemy and you came spying over the top of a mountain and you start glancing down on these people and you're like, let's go and let's, let's take them, you know, let's take all of their goods, let's get all their gold, let's take all their animals, let's, let's slaughter them. Can you imagine if you popped over the top of this mountain and you look down and here's this cloud and it's at night because you're spying it out and there's this fire inside the cloud and it's just burning with this intensity? Could you imagine saying to your, your buddy next to you going, I think these are the wrong people to attack? You know, I don't think these are the people that we want to attack. I don't know what's up with these people, but I don't think this is where we want to go. The ark, the ark uh, was an instrument that was used for many generations. And after the tabernacle and all through David's reign, and then Solomon, David's son, who built the temple, the ark went into the temple. An actual structure, a facility that wasn't like in the wilderness where it was a tent that was picked up and it was moved around. But God gave strict orders. He gave a lot of orders, actually, to, to the people. And he told them that this ark, it, held, it holds power. This ark is, is powerful. If you remember the movie, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right? How many of you guys are old like me and you remember that movie? Right on, right on. Yeah, and if you aren't old like us that raised our hands, now I've incorporated all of you into the old statement, I apologize. You can always go back and you can watch it. But Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you remember how the the Nazis, they wanted to find the Ark? One of the reasons why man's looking for the Ark and how old dictators of our past have looked for these ancient artifacts is because they still believe that this thing has power and if they can own the power of it, then maybe they can dominate the world. And so here's the Nazis and they're going after this this Ark. It's just a movie. They're going after this Ark and they get it. And remember, they take it out onto this, I think it was out onto an island or something. And then they're going to go through this ritual and they're going to open it up. Remember, they open it up and it's just sand that's in there. And then, and then everything goes crazy and it all breaks loose and everybody that stared into it actually dies. That, that concept actually comes from scripture. I'm going to tell you about it here in just a minute, but the ark has incredible power. The ark is a powerful tool that God gave strict orders and he said, if you obey these orders, then my, the power of my presence is going to benefit you. If you don't obey these orders, then the power of my presence is going to destroy you. So it's the most sought-after relic, but it's also the most destructive relic that man can ever know about. As an example, in uh, Leviticus chapter 10, Aaron, who is um, really a right-hand man to Moses, he becomes really one of the first priests, and his two sons are serving with him, and God's given strict orders on how to do every little detail of your priestly duties. And his two sons screw up one of the details in in Leviticus chapter 10. They screw up a detail and fire comes from where the ark is at and burns these boys to a crisp. Boom. Done. So, the moral of that story is, if you're interested in going into ministry, um, 
Make sure you know all the details first. At least that's what I take away from that. I take away from it on a serious note that God does hold to a high standard those who would fulfill the role of ministry in a priestly type of a manner, in a pastoral manner. God's serious about about that role. Um, I, I take that role very serious. Um, and it's moments like this that remind me that God, God is no joker when it comes to his call on his people. And God doesn't mess around. And back in the Old Testament, in this moment, fire comes out and strikes down Aaron's two sons. That was a hard lesson for them to learn right off the bat, but I guarantee it was a lesson that they learned. They never made that mistake, at least recorded in biblical history again. In 1 Samuel chapter 5 and chapter 6, the Philistines and all of their wisdom, which are enemies of Israel, they decide to steal the ark. <laughs> These guys are not very smart. So they steal the ark and they take it back to their homeland. When they get it back to their homeland, people are dying left and right. People are getting sick. Um, it's one of those rare moments where there's wild illness that's happening. And over the course of you know a period of time, they realize this was a bad move. We should have never stole this thing. Let's send this thing back from which it came from. And so they put it on this, uh, they put it on this cart. They come up with this whole scenario of, you know, how they should send it back. And then, whoom, the ark goes back. But here's, here's the brilliance of the Israelites. As soon as it crosses the border and it shows up in the first town, the Israelites that are in this town look at it and they go, whoa, this is the ark and this thing that showed up with these two, you know, oxen pulling it basically on this cart. Wow, I hope all of our stuff is still inside. Bad move. They open it up, they stare inside of it, 70 of them die. The, the ark was, was not a respecter of, of men. It wasn't that it was just for the Israelites and it was against all the others. Not all the Philistines died. Some of them died because they, they mishandled it. Some of the Israelites, they died because they mishandled it. A powerful tool. Second Samuel chapter six, uh, Yuza, who was transporting the ark. David asked for the ark to be brought to Jerusalem. And so this guy is, he's in the cart, you know, and he's pulling it with the horses or the oxen or something like that. And it hits this bump and the ark starts to shift on the back of the cart. So like a good transporter of anything important, he reaches back to touch it so that it doesn't fall. Guess what happens to him? You guys are catching on, aren't you? Boom, he dies. The ark is powerful. God's presence is powerful. And it brought destruction to those who didn't obey it, who didn't follow its orders, who didn't think it was that important to even take care of the small details. But the ark was also God's presence that was used to help the Israelites with miracles and victories. Like in Joshua chapters 3 through 5, it gives the account of the Israelites after 40 years in the desert, finally entering into the promised land. And what does Joshua do? He sends the ark with the priests into the river first. And when the ark hits the water, guess what happens to the water? Boom, it splits and it dries up. Then Joshua, in Joshua chapter 6, when he shows up on the plains of Jericho, and the Israelites decide... That they hear from God and God says, listen, I want you to, I want you to destroy this enemy. They're in, the, they're in your land. They're in the land that I gave you. You, you allowed them to come in and now they've got to be pushed out. And so go and march around it. Remember that? 
And then on the seventh day, they took the ark with them and they marched around it, carrying the ark, blowing the trumpets. And when that happened, the walls came tumbling down. And in Numbers chapter 10, Moses is given strict instruction to send the ark ahead of the Israelites, to send them out three days in advance. Why? God said, send the ark out three days in advance with the cloud that will be above it and the fire that burns in it at night. And I will drive out the enemies so that when you get there, you will have a place of peace. God's presence working in miraculous ways, in victorious ways uh, with the Israelites in the Old Testament. So you can see why people would want to find it, can't you? It's a powerful relic. You can see why people have dug in tunnels and they've searched for decades, given their lives to try to find this instrument of power that reflects the presence and the power of God. But where is the ark? What do we know about it? Where do you think the ark is? Well, the last recording that we know of the ark in the Bible is in 1 Kings, excuse me, chapter 8 and 2 Chronicles chapter 5. The last known place of the ark in the Bible is the ark being brought into the temple that Solomon builds and it being placed there. The next thing we know about Solomon's temple in the end of its days is that the king, uh, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar, he comes, he marches in um, into, into Jerusalem and he destroys Jerusalem. He destroys the temple. And some believe that that's where those ancient artifacts that were carried around in the desert, including the ark, were destroyed on that day. I'm, I'm with the belief of many of those, and this is just theory, but I'm with the belief of many that believe that the Israelites are much smarter than to just allow an enemy to come creeping up on them. That uh, they've, they've been around warfare, that they understand battles, that they realize people don't like them, but people hate them, and that they're, they're strategists, and they, they know those types of things, and that they took those ancient artifacts and they moved them. Some believe that those artifacts were moved to Egypt, and that they are held, and there's some place in Egypt today. Others believe, like maybe some of the documentaries that you've seen on TV, that the Ark has been in Ethiopia and that's at a church there that's called the Mary's, Mary Zion Church in Axiom in uh, Ethiopia. And that this one man guards it. And then when he dies, another one takes over. Um, and so I've, I've, you've seen those documentaries maybe. If you haven't, that's, that's one of the theories is that it's there. But no person has ever seen it. There isn't any pictures. There's no proof to say that it's there. There's other theories that are written about in other ancient manuscripts and other ancient writings, some of which were just recently deciphered and uh, put out there to the public uh, for public knowledge. But some of them believe that those ancient artifacts, when Nebuchadnezzar was coming, that angels of the Lord showed up to some of the priests and they took those things and they took them to heaven. Others believe that, you know, the priests of their day took all of the ancient relics and they moved them into caves and there's many different caves around around Israel, but they moved them into some cave and somehow, some way, that's still where they are. Very similar to like the manuscripts and how the manuscripts were found in caves. They believe that maybe that's where uh, ancient artifacts like this exist. Others believe that they're underneath the Dome of the Rock um, in Israel, that there are tunnels that are there because where the Dome of the Rock is, is the ancient site for where the Holy of Holies was. And the Israelites believe that um, where the holies of holies were at, that all the ground underneath that was holy. 
And for them to dig tunnels underneath it and to store or to hide all of their relics there makes a lot of sense. But they can't, I can't, they can't find those. They can't get there. And so that's just kind of where they're at. Now I'm going to uh, Israel and a number of us from our church are going to Israel in 2015 in January and February for about 11 days. So when I get back after finding the ark, I'll let you know where it is. And if you want to go find the ark with me, then go sign up for the trip to Israel and let's all go together, okay? And uh, we'll we'll hop on the bus and then quietly jump out the back door and we'll go hunt for the ark while everyone drives around and sees everything. Uh, so come with me and let's, let's go see if we can find, find the ark. But the punchline is this. All of those are just conspiracies. Even if you could find the ark, if you could find this box... Would this box really contain still the presence of God? Would it still contain this power that we're talked about? And the answer to that is absolutely not. It's just a box. It was used for a season of time, used for a period of time. It was made out of wood that was covered in gold. Wood, wood could rot, the wood could do whatever. I mean, the whole thing could fall apart, it could be crushed underneath rocks that tumbled upon it. You know, as uh, as temples were destroyed, it, it could be anywhere. It could have been broken into pieces and gold melted down and used for all kinds of things as different enemies may have got their hands on it. The box is just a box. It has no special power today. But in the Old Testament, that ark was powerful. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus signified the presence of God as he walked around. And very many miracles were done and, you know, victorious things happened and the the presence of God was wherever Jesus went and people were healed and all kinds of amazing things happened. But guess what? Today, in the heart of a believer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's presence dwells where? In you. If you put your faith in Christ today, the power of God's presence that once dwelt in this ark signified his presence among his people, who once dwelt in his son Jesus Christ who signified his power among his people, now dwells inside of you and me. How serious do you think God takes his presence? In light of what we just heard about the Old Testament, how serious do you think God takes his presence? I think God takes his presence very serious. Yeah, sure, maybe we don't hear of you know, people dying because they, they touched the altar wrong or they did something like that wrong um, in these days. That doesn't mean that God doesn't take his presence serious. Having the spirit of the living God dwelling in you is not just a free ticket to heaven. It's a powerful tool that God wants to use in amazing ways. Romans chapter 8 talks about you know, how God's spirit dwells in you. Take a look at this. It says that you, however, you are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. And if the spirit of God lives in you, though, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, then he does not belong to Christ. The spirit of Christ. If you have the spirit of Christ living in you, then the sinful nature isn't what controls you anymore. That's what God, he was trying to teach the, the Israelites of old, that when my presence is with you, don't let sin control you. Why would you sell yourself out for something cheap when you have the best? Why would you sell yourself out to idols when the, when the ark is with you and the cloud is there and the fire is burning in it by night? And still to this day, if the Spirit of God is in you, why allow your sinful nature to control you? 
Well, part of that is because the sinful nature is strong. But when the sinful nature comes on, it always gives the warning signs. And we all have the opportunity to stand up and go, no, I'm going to follow the power of God's presence living within me. We all have that. Even Jeff Baker does. The beauty of this New Testament living is that through the power of Christ, when we fail, we have a way to come back to God. Our way back to God is covered by grace. Covered by grace through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's awesome. But it's through the Spirit of God living in us that the power of the presence of God can be do, can do incredible things in us, but He wants to do amazing things through us. In these past couple of weeks, we've been doing a lot of missions around the world, and uh, you heard Dean say that somewhere around close to 100 people at New Life were involved in missions. I want to say thank you to you that were involved in missions. Um, in fact, if you were involved in any type of a missions experience in these past couple of weeks connected with, uh, with New Life, would you just quickly stand really quick? Just for a moment, just if you were involved, just stand really quick, if that was you. Man, can we just thank these people for being, being God's hands and feet for us? I want to invite three of them to come up. Travis, would you come? And um, Sarah, would would would, uh, would you come? And Bill, would you come as well? I, I want these three to come up here. Uh, I want them just to kind of share with us a little bit about how we as a church have been displaying the power of God's presence throughout Kearney and even to the ends of the earth. So, Travis, you got the mic first. Tell us, man, what what was the areas of uh, of missions involvement that you were a part of? And then maybe... How did we display the power of God's presence through those? Well, we served at Crossroads Mission and at Countryside Trailer Court. On Tuesday, we served Sloppy Joe's at yeah. Crossroads. And on Friday at Crossroads, they had pizza and games. Cool. And then on Friday, we did a carnival with Bounce House and hot dogs and games for for all the people there at or Countryside and it was amazing. I know I heard stories about, I didn't go to Crossroads myself, but I heard stories about how much fun the people had out, you know, just how blessed they felt, especially by the games. They really, yeah. they really enjoyed that. And then, uh, at Countryside, we went around Thursday and dis- distributed flyers and it was kind of, people didn't know what to think. They were looking out their windows. Some of them didn't <laughs> yeah. open their doors. Some of them did. They were kind of suspicious when we were handing these flyers out. But when, when they came Friday, the kids were, you know, Running around, you know, jumping in the bounce house, playing the games, getting prizes, and the, yeah. all the parents were you know, eating hot dogs and smiling. You could just see, you know, that all that, you know, the suspicion they had about us was just kind of relieved by by the love that they felt, you know, yeah. from us serving there. And, yeah. So what I what I hear you saying is that by going and serving in just really basic ways here in our community, that we as a people we brought joy to others that the, by the the power of god's presence in us and our generosity just to go and give and to serve where we really can get nothing in return you know we can't get anything in return from that other than just to go and give and to share god's love and through that we brought a lot of joy to people right we did it All was right. it was on their faces i love it i love it bill jump in here man jump in the middle here jump into the hot seat this is Bill, Bill Edwards. Bill, you were part of our, um, our missions outreach to, uh, to North Platte. We had a couple of different trips that went out there. We're talking today about the power of God's presence, how we displayed that. So maybe kind of highlight for us as pictures are flashing in the background. What did we do in North Platte? Because we're getting ready for this church plant, right? 
And then how, in, in what way did you see that as displaying to the community um, the power of God's presence? Okay, well, the first project that we did was uh, the painting of the parsonage. And, and in about six-hour period, we painted the entire inside of the house. We installed light fixtures. We installed appliances. We fixed doors that hadn't worked for years. And, and uh, really, really just, uh, you know, through 12 people, we, uh, we really freshened up the home. Wow, wow. Everyone's now wondering, like, how do I get my house on the list? Exactly. Right. Was, we're meeting right. at our house next week. <laughs> Your house, okay. All right, good. <laughs> and then on Monday, Tuesday, and part of Wednesday, the youth went there, and, uh, and it was awesome. We went to the church and uh, just started performing some of the duties there. You know, we've always been taught that uh, a church is not four walls. It's, uh, it's the people in the church. Right. Well, when we got to that building... That's all it is, is a building. Yeah. And then I see this sign about relics, and we go inside that, that building, and it is full of relics, meaning that, uh, you know, from, from costumes to sets for plays to magazines to egg crate cartons, yeah. things like that. I mean, it was full of relics. And uh, during those three days, two and a half days, we uh, filled two dumpsters full of relics. And, uh, and it, uh, there's still more to go. But uh, we're, you know, in the process of making that, you know, a satellite of new life. And uh, uh, Nate, Pastor Nate's mother, uh, when she stopped in on Monday morning, you know, she was so excited because, you know, we were going to be, bring life to something that was dead. Mm. And it was just, it, it was awesome. And those kids are, are awesome. I wish I could bottle up just a tenth of their energy. <laughs> But, uh, right. but they did such a wonderful job, and they did it with their heart. They did it with, with the Holy Spirit in mind, you know. Amen. And we talked about that. We talked about doing our jobs as though it was unto the Lord. Right on, right and, on. Uh, and they did. That's they awesome. Did fantastic. So what you guys were really doing is you were preparing the way. Um, you're kind of like that example of God saying in Numbers chapter 10 to Moses, send that ark three days in advance, and I'll prepare the way. Yeah. You guys were out there preparing the way for this new church plant, um, of which we're going to be launching in September. We just actually hired a campus pastor for our North Platte location. They are uh, Dave and Tiffany Cumming. And you'll see more of them as they're going to come on uh, come on staff with us live uh, in the beginning of June. And they're going to move out to this parsonage, and they're excited. I was just I just ran into them in Omaha as I was speaking at a men's event on Saturday morning, uh, of which Dave was there helping to lead worship. So they were super excited about all the work that you guys did, preparing the way for God's presence to be displayed through the local church. So thanks a lot. We got one more to go, though. One more to go. Thanks, Bill. All right, Sarah, teammates. All right, fly her around the world with me. I love it. So we we traveled all the way to uh, the Philippines. No, don't look at the pictures. Uh, but we traveled all the way to the Philippines. So um, with, uh, with everything that you've got inside of you, try to bottle up for us what was it that we were doing over in the Philippines, and in what ways did you really see that displaying the power of God's presence you know, through our lives? Okay. Um, a couple things we worked on. We worked on the church um, and the parsonage and preschool that was connected to the back that was pretty much completely destroyed. Um, rebuilt a wall in the church, uh, and just getting that parsonage livable 
because Pastor Joel currently is living in a tent in the sanctuary. And I kept trying to wrap my head around that. Could you imagine Kim and Jeff camping out in a tent in the sanctuary? We could do it if you, you want could, us to. You totally could. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. But I just... But no, you no. it's no. hard to imagine until you see it. It is. It is. Um, and things just like Clint fixing a kid's uh, chain on his bike that was just in that picture. Um, and then... Some of us went over and worked on a house for a family that belonged to that church named Jojo and Lily Beth. And um, they have what's called cell groups, which is essentially like a new life small group, which I thought was so cool because small groups are so important to our church. Yeah. And what we were doing was not only creating a house for them to live in because what they live in currently is beyond, I can't put it into words. You just have to see it. It is a tent basically in the just with hard walls with hard walls. Yeah. And, um, so building their house was not only a place for them to live and to seek refuge, but a place there they are, um, a place where they could have their small group, where they could be a cell group, where they can go out and be that light and be the Holy spirit to the people of their church. Yeah. 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 So in what ways, in what ways did you really sense that maybe we kind of helped to, foster the presence of God? Um, and, and maybe in what ways did, did uh, maybe you experience God's presence in your own personal life? Um, the, the ways I saw that we were fostering it, of course, when you go on something like this, you always feel like you come back with so much more than you ever gave. Um, but so many of those people, I mean, it's just four months out from the typhoon, and they really were just starting to process their stories. Mm-hmm. And I felt like so many of them were ready to tell us um, from our driver art who still wakes up screaming every night um, and said he couldn't really talk about it by the time we had been there. Sorry, I brought my own Kleenex. Um, (laughs) Can I borrow it? (laughs) By the time we had been there for a week, um, he'd started to open up. He had started to share his story Um, to the women at the church that we were able to, after a medical clinic one day, just sit and visit with. And they started telling us their story and they started opening up. And I could just see that that was such a healing for them. And it's hard to go to your friends who have just been through the exact same thing and, and pour your guts out to them because they have their own problems that they're going through. But we were fresh ears to hear and, and just to love on them. Um, and to do the same thing over at the house with Jojo and Lilybeth and Betty, um, just letting them tell their story. And um, for me personally, wow. I know. How, wh- which one do I pick is, is really um, what you want to say. Um, but just that overwhelming feeling of we're so much more alike than we are different, um, that we were half a world away from you guys. And we were still talking to people who, um, you know, the wives just wanted to take care of their families. Uh, Betty made us lunch one day. She stood by our table the entire lunch with a little hand fan and fanned because she wanted to keep the flies off the food. And I thought, what a humble servant's heart that is. Here she's just prepared us food. It's 90 degrees with 90% humidity. And for the entire time we sat there, she just kept fanning us. And I thought, do I have that kind of a servant's heart? Uh-huh. And and the men just wanted to take care of their families, but they just couldn't. They're just now digging out of the mud. They told us 
just a month before we got there, they finally had the roads passable. Yeah. So we hadn't been there all that long after things had just finally started to rebuild. And it just overwhelmed me, the joy that they had. Their joy, that song, Joy Unspeakable, just kept going through my head because they had such joy. Yeah. And I kept thinking, why don't, why don't we always have this? <laughs> we have so much. We can walk into Walmart. We can get anything we want. Yeah. And we don't have that kind of joy. And it's because they have the joy of Christ. They know who their Savior is. And they would sit there, these women sang songs to us. And it was absolutely beautiful. They're singing this song about the waves crashing in and overtaking. But the, in Christ is who, is who they stood. And wow. I remember Clint and I just looking up at each other. And we just have tears running down our face as they sang to us at lunch one day. Yeah. Because their joy in Christ is just overwhelming. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing with us. Thanks for going as well. God's presence at work through people that are in your church um, all around the world these past couple of weeks, uh, as well as God's presence at work inside of you. And I remember, I remember as well, Sarah, on Sunday at this Chinese church of people that are in Takloban. So number one, we're at a church of the Chinese in Takloban. These are people that grew up in a country that wasn't free to worship Christ, but yet here they are worshiping Christ. And on top of that, they just went through this massive typhoon that wiped out their city, a wall of water 18 to 20 feet high, as it ripped children right out of mother's arms that we talked to. Children right out of the hands of a father. Jojo, who's hanging on for his dear life and says that in the midst of the man we built the house for, in the midst of the storm, he senses God saying, Jojo, I've got you in my arms. That in the midst of all of that, here we stand in this church as people raise their hands and they sing with everything inside of them to declare how powerful and mighty God is and that I, I will not fear. I will say of the Lord that he is my strength and my refuge and my strong tower. It's powerful. God's presence at work. So how can you increase or how can you experience more of God's presence in your life? How can you do that? I want you to look at this verse very quickly in Hebrews chapter nine. It says that inside of the ark of the covenant were basically three things. A gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets are the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses, the Ten Commandments are the stone tablets of the covenant. Three things that were in the ark. I want you to consider these, th- these same three things that need to be inside of your heart. Okay, first off would be the stone tablets. God wants His Word to be hidden in your heart. It was important enough to be in the old, um, the old ark, It was important enough that Jesus studied all of the ancient manuscripts and had God's word because he was God written in his heart. It's still important for you and me today that God's word be in our heart. It's a significant thing enough to know that God's word wasn't written on paper, but it was scribed by God's finger in the stone. Why? Because it was meant to last forever. It's significant enough that it still hangs inside of important buildings, even in the United States and, may I say, other countries around the world. It's a very important piece to have in your heart. Store up the knowledge, but also store up the obedience to God's word in your heart. Guess what will happen? You'll be experiencing more of God's presence in your life. 
Don't do it, you won't experience God's presence. With it, you will. What's the second thing? That gold jar of manna. What was the manna? The manna was provided to the, to the Israelites in the Old Testament as they walked through the wilderness. Daily, God provided the food for them. If they tried to gather more food than what they, than what they could eat on that day, the food would spoil. God provided it daily. And He wanted them to go out, harvest that food, and consume of that, that manna every single day to give them life. Guess what God still wants for our lives? To seek Him daily. To know Him daily. He wants us to have a fresh touch from God, from Himself, daily. It helps us to experience the power of God's presence. You know what? What's interesting about the manna, though, is Jesus declared, He said in John chapter 6, that I am the bread of life. Any man who basically consumes me has life. There's no getting away from this. What God was doing in the Old Testament, He reduplicated in the New Testament. It just looks different. It's not a wood box. It's inside of the very soul, the the heart, the DNA of man. It's the last thing, though. The last thing you need to be looking for is Aaron's staff. This staff was a miraculous staff. I mean, this staff one day was thrown down with other staffs, turned into a snake, and it ate up all these other snakes. It was a big display of God's, of God's power. You've got to look that one up for yourself. But another time, God was trying to show to the Israelites, who are the priests? And so he gathered a wooden staff, a piece of wood, guys. It's dead. He gathers one from each tribe. He takes them, he puts them uh, at the foot of, of God, basically. God says, you come back tomorrow, and I'll show you which one is the one that I want. He comes back in Aaron's staff, who had Aaron's name written on it. That staff, that dead piece of wood, not only had it sprouted leaves, it had sprouted flowers, and it produced almonds. It's crazy. What does it tell us today? It tells us that God can take anything that's old, anything that's dead, any person in here that feels distant and decayed because of this world, and God can take things that are dead, and old, and cause them to produce new life. That's the God we serve. But you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to do exactly what Moses did. Take that thing that's old, and take that thing that's dead, and bring it to the foot of God. And when you do that, when you humble yourself, and you lay down before God the things of your life that are dead and decayed and sinful and old and producing death, when you lay those things down, now God has the ability to sprout new life in them. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God that's at work. So today, as we wrap up this service, first thing that I want you to consider to do is invite the presence of God into your life. Invite Him into your life. That's where it starts. God, I want you to be the Lord and the leader of my life. If you haven't done that, that's your first move, to make Jesus Christ the Lord and the leader of your life. Let Him take your old self that's dead and dying and let Him bring new life to it. The second thing is, though, to worship God with hunger inside of you. To worship God with a hunger to experience His presence. And today, if you've come to this place, I want to encourage you in these next few moments to worship God with a hunger and to expect to meet with God. Have an expectation in your heart that God is in this place and that where two or more are gathered together, His, the power of God's presence is here. Reach out and hunger after Him and grab a hold of God. And thirdly, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. Follow the leading of the Spirit. 
He's looking for obedience out of you. He's looking to speak to your heart and go, I want to get to this area. And you just say, yes, God, you can have, you can have your way in me. I want to experience the power of your presence in my life. I know this for, for certain that God is in this place. And God's looking to connect with you today. God's looking to talk with you today. He's looking to meet with you today. He's wanting to hear from you. He's wanting to see your life submitted to him. He's wanting to see you humble yourself before him. But God wants to meet with you today. So what's it going to take? It's going to take hunger after him. It's going to take obedience. And it's going to take surrender. And if we come to God with that kind of attitude, you too, who feel dry, who feel like your life spiritually has become crusty, you can experience the reviving freshness of God's presence today. God's not trying to keep his presence from you. It's like God didn't keep his presence from the Israelites and he wanted all the world to know that I am their God and I'm with them. God's wanting the power of his presence to be in you. And he wants the world to know that he still is alive and he wants to show the world his power through you. So why don't we stand and let's pray today. Father, as we come before you, we believe, we believe in your power, the power of your presence at work. And Lord, you have... It says in the, in the Bible at the beginning, the very beginning of Genesis, that this earth was void and without form, but yet your spirit, your presence, the power of your presence, it hovered over the earth. God, you've never, you've never given up on your people. You've never given up on pursuing your people. You've been with your people, even as you met with Moses in radical places, Lord, you, you allowed your people to experience your presence through the ark. And then the beauty of the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ. And as the power of your presence walked on this earth, you ministered, you ministered to us, and you showed us what it meant to have relationship with you through your son Jesus Christ, and that you gave the very best you had on the cross so that the power of your presence might live in us. But you don't take that sequence of events lightly. You are a God to be reverenced. You are a God to be feared. You are a God to be in awe of. The power of your presence is both amazing, incredible, but it's to be in awe of. Lord, today your presence dwells inside of the heart of a believer. God, let us not squelch it by giving over our lives to our sinful nature. God, let us maximize the power of your presence in us today as we come to worship you, to know you, as we come to seek you, as we walk out of these doors to influence the world around us. May this ancient relic, the power of your presence, be made known to us today again. In Jesus' name.